Tonight, we doing okay? Hey, we got a uh, opportunity tonight. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter thirty-four. Isaiah thirty-four is going to wrap up uh, a three-part um, poem in Isaiah. Isaiah thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. They lay out for us several aspects aspects of the king. Tonight, we're going to be talking about. The revenge of the king. So over and over again as we go through Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, um, pretty much all the Old Testament prophets, they point to and talk about a day called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a day of the vindication of God's people. And it's a day of God's uh, vengeance on those who have uh, rejected the sacrifice of his son. And basically, one of the things we want to notice, we'll see it a little bit tonight. <coughs> the soul that sins needs a sacrifice to be made right to God. Does that make sense to everybody? So, I have something that separates me from God. I have a debt, whether you want to call it a sacrifice or whatever. I have a debt that I need to pay. And uh, either we have a sacrifice provided, which is Jesus Christ, right? God's own son that we receive by faith and his blood washes us white as snow right it's not something we do it's something he's provided or we become the sacrifice and so when we look at isaiah 34 that's what we'll be that's what we'll be seeing the idea that on this day if we don't have the blood of the lamb to stand in then then you are the sacrifice you're the sacrifice that is only you can't pay the debt, you just provide the <clears throat> the punishment for. So he begins with this announcement. Look at verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O people. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. So the idea of a psalmist would even declare that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So that means not only the things on the earth, but everything that fills the earth. All the animals, all the people... Everything. It's all His. In Isaiah 33, uh, we looked at last, uh, last week, it says, Hear you who are afar off what I have done, and you who are near acknowledge my might. So there's this acknowledging that God's looking for from His creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about it like this. Romans chapter 1 tells us that all man stands guilty before God, because, not because they don't know God, but because they won't worship the God they know exists. And Romans 1 tells us, how does man know God? Because God has shown himself to him. It's, it's Romans 1, 18 through 20-something. You guys look at it. You can, you can check it out yourself. But the idea that God is, is laying out, the guilt of mankind is not that they don't worship a God they don't know, but that they refuse to worship a God that they do know. That's God's charge in Romans chapter 1. And the same thing here in Isaiah, God is saying, come here. All you nations, come here. And in uh, Revelation chapter 11, was it 11 or 12 we did today? It might have been 12. Um, no, it's the end of 11. The seventh trumpet, the angels in heaven declares that the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So the establishment that all the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. He made it. It's His. We are the renters. He is the, the owner of the field. Remember the story Jesus told? 
that there was an owner of a vineyard and he lent it out. And when he lent it out, he came to receive what was his due. The acknowledgement, this is my land, right? There's rent we pay if we rent a house, right? If we rent a, a place. And so he came for that rent. He sent people to receive it and they beat them and they threw them out and they said, no, no, no. So finally the owner said, well, I'll send him my son. Him they'll respect. And they took his son and they killed him. And then Jesus asked the Pharisees, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? And they all got it right. He's going to come and exact vengeance because he did not receive what was his. If we understand that in earthly terms, how much greater is that when we look at it in terms of the creator of the universe? That this is all his. That he's leased it to us, rented it to us, gifted it to us, and that there are things <clears throat> that that God Almighty is looking for in response of the nations. And so, he talks in verse 2 about the anger of the king that's aroused. Look what it says. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for the slaughter. Their slain will be cast out, and the stench of their corpses will rise. Mountains will flow with their blood, and all the host of heaven will rot away. Now, that's looking heavenward, right? All the hosts of heaven will rot away. The skies will roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from, from the fig tree. So... The king here, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is upset. He's provided, we saw in 32. He's rescued, we saw in 33. And in 34, he says, now it's time for vengeance. He, I provided, I laid out the opportunity. Rejection leads to God's vengeance, God's judgment that, that comes upon a, a Christ-rejecting world. Now, the language is poetic. Okay, we don't need to look for a literal fulfillment here. We're not actually looking for the slaughter to be so great that the, the mountains flow with the blood of the slain. But we get the picture, right? If we want to understand that similar picture, there's two other places in the Bible we can look at. In Ezekiel 39, in Ezekiel 39, beginning at verse 17, it says, As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak. To the birds of every sort, to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come. Gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. A great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel. And you shall eat the flesh and drink the blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty. Drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of he goats, of bulls. All of them, fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat until you are filled, and drink blood until you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you will be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men, and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, that the nations will see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know I am the Lord their God from that day Forward. So again, you have this day of vindication. Now, if we look at it in human terms, okay, think of it in human terms, like a human king who has been, who is the ruler of the entire world, but has been um, totally disrespected by all other nations. In earthly terms, what would that guy do? 
But he's going to make everybody pay. How many times have we seen it? You know, there's going to be war. There's going to be bloodshed. So the poetic language of the (laughs) prophet to the people is, if this is what happens when an earthly king who is not good, not perfect, not just is disrespected, what is it going to be like for the disrespect that we have that we have uh, tenured toward God? What is that? What's that going to look like? So God describes it in Ezekiel 39 like a, a great feast for all the birds. Now Ezekiel also kind of corresponds that idea with Leviathan. Anybody heard of Leviathan before? How about this one? Revelation 12, the great red dragon. Anybody heard of that? So Leviathan, the great red dragon, the beast that rises up out of the sea, they're all symbols in the, in the uh, prophetic text for uh, evil. Whatever the great evil is. Whether it's Antichrist or the devil or whatever. Okay, And one day what God says in Ezekiel is he's going to destroy Leviathan and he's going to feed all the animals of earth on, on its flesh. What, what is that picture? The point is not how bloody is this or how vile is this. The point is evil is going to be utterly destroyed and there's not going to be anything left of it. And the view is that God's saying, this is what I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to utterly abolish all evil, which means everything evil will be judged and gone. Because if you leave any what did Jesus say? A little leaven does what? You'll be okay? Just leave a little leaven in your life. Leave a little sin over in the corner. It won't affect anything else. Anybody found that to be true? So what is it, what is it that we have to do with our sin? We've got to kill it. We've got to abolish it. We've got to turn from it, right? So over and over again, God uses that same language to discuss the evil of the world. That all evil is going to be utterly and totally completely wiped out, gone. That the king of righteousness, the king of justice, the king of kings, that's part of his role, that he's going to provide for all the world. In fact, Romans 8 says that all of creation groans for that day. Right? Why does all creation groan for that day? Because evil is bad. Evil is not something we can play with. It's not something that we can leave a little here and everything will be okay. Evil's got to go. And this is the language. This is the language he uses. We also read about it in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice he called all the birds that fly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all the men, both free and slave, both small and great. What's happening? All evil is being abolished. Now, remember, we can acknowledge from Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 that the one condition that we all have is that we are all evil. We are all stained with sin, right? For all have sinned and do what? Fall short of the glory of God, right? So how is it that we move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Well, we profess faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We receive the sacrifice that He made on our behalf. And it isn't that suddenly, magically, I became a good person. 
It is that suddenly, magically, I was washed in the blood of Christ and he, His goodness covered my sinfulness. And so when that has happened, what happened in the Passover? Think back to the Passover. Think back to the children of Israel having to mark their doorposts with the blood. If the blood covered the doorposts, what happened to everyone who was in the house? They got what? They, got, they were passed over, right? The angel of death did what? Passed over. Why? Because they were perfect now? No, because they had what? Applied the blood of the Lamb to their dwelling. And everything in the dwelling was covered by the innocence or the, or the uh, purity of the sacrifice. So the same way, everything's covered. So either you stand as part of the disease that needs to be purged from the earth, are we, are, is everybody tracking with me? Or you have been cured by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only two categories. Right? Saints and ain'ts. Those who are in and those who aren't. And so you have this, this description. So when we look at it, don't look at it so much as there's big bloody war that's going to take place. Maybe that is what it looks like. But what is God telling us? I'm going to abolish all evil. All of it. Every drop, there will not be any left. The king of righteousness is going to accomplish this thing. He also says, look what he says. I want to talk a little bit about this. All the host of heaven will rot away. What's the host of heaven? Well, most places when you talk about the host of heaven, you're talking about angels. Psalm 82, God declares that he is going to judge the angels. The angels that uh, misled mankind, right? Have we been introduced to them before? In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 9, it says, an angel was given a key to the abuso, the bottomless pit, right? And he flies down there and he opens the abuso and he lets out Abaddon and Apollyon, the destroyer, right? The, the angels that have been imprisoned. Well, what were they imprisoned for? According to Jude, because they left their first estate, that they were part of the original corruption of man from Genesis. So you have <clears throat> this picture. God says, I'm going to, he's not only going to abolish all evil on earth, where else is he going to do it? In heaven. Well, who's in heaven right now that could be considered evil? Well, the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses them both day and night. So, unless Revelation 12 has already happened, right? That's Revelation 12 says, War broke out in heaven and there was no place found for Satan any longer. And he was cast to the earth and he's angry because he only has a short time. So if we're halfway through the tribulation period, then, then the devil's here. Otherwise, the devil still has access to heaven. Is there evil in heaven? Yeah, there's evil in heaven if the devil's there, right? He's fallen. So when God says, I'm going to, not only is he going to abolish evil on earth, he's going to abolish evil. When we get to the end of the book of Revelation, he creates a new what? New heaven and a new earth. Why? Why does he need a new heaven? Because it's polluted, right? So he's going to have new heaven, new earth. There will be no, not any evil left in heaven or on earth. He, the king of righteousness, is going to wipe it all out. So I think that's what he's referring to when he says all the hosts of heaven. Psalm 82, he says they're going to die like men. 
The fallen angels, he says, you're going to die like men. He says, all the host of heaven will rot away. That sounds bad, yeah? The heavens, the skies are going to roll up like a scroll. We've heard these kind of verses before. All their hosts will fall like leaves from a vine, like leaves falling from a fig tree. <clears throat> so in Isaiah, he's talking about God abolishing all evil and also kind of correlating it with the end of the world, right? The heavens rolling up like a scroll, that sounds like the end. In fact, we can read about it also. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. And heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of, what sort of people ought you to be in lives, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for New heavens, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. You guys get the picture? So what we're, what he's talking about is laying out, this is all written in poetry, so it's, it's laid out for us so that we understand the, the total destruction of evil. And the best way for, for people, especially in that day, to understand it was just like a battlefield. How did you know the enemy was totally destroyed? When there was nobody left. Nobody's left. All there is is bodies on the ground. So that's the same language that is used to describe uh, this event as he um, as he takes this abolishing of evil. Next, we see the attack of his sword uh, on Edom. Verse five: For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people. I have devoted to destruction. Now here, Edom is a symbol for the earth. Okay, so remember, Edom is, uh, is the family of Esau. So if I said to you in the Old Testament there were two people, what two families would they fall under, you think? Jacob and Esau. Jew and Gentile. Or the same way we would say now. Now I'm not suggesting that everybody, nor did the Bible ever suggest this, that everybody was naturally born a Jew was somehow good. And everybody naturally born of Esau was somehow evil. But you have this division. Edom was traditionally viewed as those who didn't want the things of God. Jacob or Israel as those who wanted the things of God. So in a poetic sense, you have good versus evil. And you have God saying, now I've, I've taken my sword to the heavens. So I've dealt with what's in the heavens, right? Like Revelation 12, Satan's been cast out. The angels have been thrown down. I've dealt with what's in heaven. Now I'm turning my sword toward Edom, toward those who are set up for destruction. Now, who are those who are set up for destruction? The unrighteous, the evil, all evil being, yeah, that's it. Bang, bang, choo-choo train, get them. That all the people that are in a place or a position of having rejected what the vineyard owner has provided find themselves in a position where then the only thing you have left is judgment, right? Either you, you, you get a right relationship with the owner of the vineyard, or the owner of the vineyard burns you down. It's his vineyard. It's his stuff. It's not mine. It's his world. It's his way. He is the creator. 
And we are those who should, who should be responding to it. So, it descends for judgment upon Edom, on the people set for destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidney of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Now remember I told you, in a, in a right relationship with God, all the, all, either you accepted the sacrifice He provided, right? Or you become the sacrifice. So this is what he's saying. Now the Bible's going to talk about, I think I have the quote in here actually that we'll, that we'll take a look. I can't, I can't remember if I put it in there or not. But when Jesus Christ returns, He's going to return, He's going to land in Basra, and He's going to journey through the Jezreel Valley, and He's going to come into Armageddon. Everybody with me? And it says that <coughs> He's asked this question, where, where have you been? And He says, I've been trampling the grapes of wrath. Well, where from? From Basra all the way to Jerusalem, right? He's coming all the way to Jerusalem. He's delivering His people, right? The righteous from the wicked. And so as He does... The Bible describes it here in Isaiah as the sacrifice. This is the sacrifice. I'm bringing my sword. This is the sacrifice. The, the, there's the sacrifice provided for whosoever will. But you reject that sacrifice, then God says you become part of the evil that needs to be purged. And all that will be, is going to be dealt with. He says here, with his sword. So his sword is going to come, and it's going to, Cause a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will fall with them. Steers, mighty bulls. See how they're described not as people, but as sacrifices, right? And the land will drink its fill of blood, and the soil will be gorged with fat. Why? Well, in Genesis, the Bible says that innocent blood defiles the land. So the land needs to be purged. The land needs to be cleansed. And here the land is being cleansed by the blood of the sacrifice. What blood, what, what sacrifice cleanses the earth? Well, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The fact that He died for us on Calvary, that His blood soaked into the earth. His blood provides the atonement for all of the earth, for whosoever will. For the Bible says, for God so loved the, that He gave His only begotten Son, right? He loved the world. He provided the atoning sacrifice that will cleanse. But anything that doesn't, anything that doesn't becomes part of that which needs cleansed. So here it's described as those who are led to the slaughter. The day of indignation, the sword, the sacrifice, the day of the Lord. And we see this sword talked about in Judges 7.18. says, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This God's trumpet of judgment in 7, 18 and 20. The three companies blew the trumpets, broke the jars in their left hands. In their right hands the trumpets blew and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. God's judgment through Gideon. Again, described as the sword of the Lord. Jeremiah 47, 6 says, Ah, the sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? Put yourself in your scabbard, rest, and be still. Well, when will the sword of the Lord be done? When evil's vanquished. When it's over. 
Until then, it's not, it's not put away. Is there still evil on earth? Are people still celebrating in our own nation for the, the shedding of innocent blood? Are they celebrating the right to, to kill a baby if it's a failed abortion? It's the only place where, where failure leads to life, right? Well, we failed an abortion, we, we kill a baby, and we're celebrating it. The nation celebrates it. Is that evil? I don't, I don't think that's hard to, to figure out. So these things are going to be judged. In Isaiah 63, verse 1, it says, Who is this who comes from Edom? This is that scripture I was alluding to. In crimson garments from Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching with the greatness of his strength, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his uh, who treads in the winepress? His response, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of redemption has come. So there's two sides to redemption, right? Forgiveness and vengeance. So you're in one family or the other. Does it make sense? You're in one side or the other. So here comes <coughs> his judgment. This is describing what we read in Revelation 19 as the Battle of Armageddon. And I've said before, Jesus doesn't need us or the armies of heaven. He takes care of business himself. Revelation 19 says he slay them with the sword of his mouth. He speaks. How, did, how was the earth created? God spoke and it happened. How was it taken apart? Same way. All he has to do is speak. All he has to do is say it. And it is, and it is finished. And this idea of this battle throughout Edom and the picture of the world is we see in Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. So Edom is a picture uh, of the nations in uh, battle against the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. Obadiah 21, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So you have the day of vengeance of our God. So God's going to take, He's going to rule and reign on the earth. And that is described this way. Now, here's the reality. When, when this day comes, I doubt that Jesus is running through a field with a sword fighting armies. Right? Revelation 19 says he just speaks and it's done. How, how long a battle do you think you're going to have against God? Well, Jacob wrestled with him all night, so I suppose God could just have a little fun. But Jacob was the righteous, right? What about with the wicked? I don't, I don't think that it's going to be long, and I don't think it's going to be drawn out. And I think the description that we see in Scripture is there for us to understand the obliteration of evil. Not for, uh, not for us to say, oh God, this bloody God who's, who's chopping everybody into bits. 
But if I use that language, you understand what's happening, right? You understand that there's an obliteration taking place, that there is utter <coughs> and complete judgment falling upon them. So it says in, uh, in verse 8, For the Lord has a day of vengeance. The Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. There is a day of reckoning. I always like that word, reckoning. To me, it's a little better than the word vengeance. Reckoning means I'm going to give account. The world, the evil in the world, the forces opposed to holiness and righteousness are going to have a day of reckoning. There will be a reckoning with God for the cause of Zion. Jesus said in Matthew 25, right, that, that in the division of the sheep and the goats, dealing with those who are for him and those who are against him, it would be, the goats would be those who didn't feed him when he was hungry, didn't clothe him when he was naked, didn't visit him when he was in prison. When didn't we do these things? When you didn't do these things unto the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do them unto me. And the same way when he, when he says the sheep, who are the sheep? The ones who did those things. Now here he says there's a day of recompense for what? He tells us what it's for. It's for Zion. It's for the land upon which he put his name. It's for what has been done or happened or uh, been been uh, going on throughout time with Israel. I think back to you go to the Israel with us and you walk into the Holocaust Museum and you for one of the things you get to see is a letter that was written to the United States government describing what was going on during the Holocaust. And the reality that we held up our hand and said, no immigrants, we don't want you. And we were just as responsible for sending them back to Auschwitz and all the other places where they were killed as everyone else. We're so good at wearing our white hat and saying we're the good guys, but the reality is when it has really mattered, we have not always worn the white hat. We have not been the good guys. And so that, and that's just one example. Now, if when Jesus says, when you fed those who are hungry or clothed them, and he's looking at it in regards to a nation, how does the United States look? Turning away the Jew who's fleeing a Holocaust. And what biblical grounds would you give for that? When, when, uh, Israel was fleeing the holocaust of Shennacherib. We read earlier in Isaiah. And they were running to Judah. God said to Judah, take them in. Take them in. Take in the, the, the ones who are fleeing, who are trying to get away. That's, that's what it looks like to wear the white hat. But we can't feed them all. You're right. You probably can't. But God can so either we're his or we're not. No? So the, the idea, when we look at that, just as an example out of history, I'm not even trying to correspond to anything now, just an example from history where we turned our back on God's people who needed deliverance. And just in case you don't believe it, you can see the letter yourself. You can see the pictures of, I can't remember who was, who was president then, you guys know. Anyway, holding his hand up, the cartoonist drawing the picture, holding his hand up, turning the ships full of Jews back. Who do you think was waiting for them when they got back home? 
What, what do you call that? Righteous or wicked? And if it's wicked, what does it deserve? Now, can that be forgiven? For sure. How is it forgiven? Covered by the blood of Christ, right? But that doesn't mean we continue to stand in those kind of decisions, does it? It means we try to be and, and do the things that, that Jesus is asking of us, through us, for us. <laughs> he says, the streams of Edom will be turned into pitch, her soil to sulfur, her land will become a burning. Uh, night and day it will not be quenched, the smoke will go up forever from generation to generation, it will lie waste. None shall pass through it forever. So, Edom becomes a picture, a description like Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire from heaven comes down, nothing's left. So, similar description here of Edom. Only in this case, I think Edom is describing the whole earth. How did Peter say the earth was going to go? In a big fireball, right? In a big fireball, all gone. New heaven, new earth. Is, uh, is, is what we're looking uh, toward. In Isaiah 35, verse 4, it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God. He will come and save you. So the idea is, those who are the oppressed, God says there will be a day of reckoning. It may come in your lifetime and it may not, but there will be a day of reckoning. Man will give a response. Um, so we see this, this idea. Why? Because God has a day of vengeance and recompense. <clears throat> and then he <clears throat> talks about the atmosphere of the land. Verse 11. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. Okay, so here's, here's a little tidbit on biblical translations. Sometimes nobody knows what the animal is. So you'll notice if you got King James or New King James, it may be different animals. It might be jackal, might be ostrich, might be uh, screech owl. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that they're used because people aren't exactly sure what animal this is. They they got basically it's a it's not a proper name of an animal. It doesn't say owl. It says you know something about a bird that screeches. So they go well. Sounds like it could be an owl. That that'll work or. Or a jackal, right? Because uh, they howl, or a hyena. But but the idea is still something that we can comprehend that the land becomes a place for just wild beasts, not for people. The, it's not a place um, that it's habitable by people anymore. Now it's just the animal. The owl, the raven will dwell in it. He will stretch a line of confusion over it. The plumb line... Of emptiness. So, <clears throat> this is the word tohu vabohu. In Genesis 1 2, it says, and the earth became uh, without form or void. The emptiness of the beginning of creation. And here, this is the same phrase, only instead of using a plumb line to, to construct something, he's using the plumb line to make it nothing. So, the, the, End of, again, kind of the same idea. The end of the old earth. <coughs> Looking for the beginning of the new. The next thing we see is its nobles. There will be no one there to call it a kingdom. And its princes will be nothing. So all the world leaders are gone. All the world leaders are gone. It's a place, a dwelling place of wild birds. It becomes 
a place of desolation or emptiness or nothingness. Um, then it says, thorns will grow over the strongholds and thistles in its fortresses. So all the buildings, all the, the things, the cities and towns that people were so proud of are gone. Those are gone as well. And then he goes back to the idea. And wild animals will meet with hyenas. The wild goat will cry to his fellow. Indeed, the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. And the owl nests and lays and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, the hawks are gathered, each one with their mate. So the idea is the people are gone, the cities are gone, the leaders are gone, and all that's left is uh, what's left of creation. And then you have this appeal of God in verse 16. So seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate, for the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and His Spirit has gathered them. He has cast a lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. So the the challenge from God then, in, in light of the fact that there's a reckoning, in light of the fact that there's a day of vengeance, in light of the fact that there's a day when God is going to judge all evil, So what does he challenge people to do? Seek and read from the book of the Lord. Understand the the way of salvation, the path that leads you out of the place where you find yourself waiting for the judgment of God, right? Waiting for that judgment to be poured out. He's saying, look for the book. Come to the book. Read the book. The book of the Lord. Because none of these shall be missing. None of what? Well, is he referring back to the hawks who who will uh, have their young and not have a maid? Is he referring to the righteous? You know, I'm not exactly sure. What I am sure of is that the mouth of God has commanded. So the mouth of God has commanded. You have this command. Seek the book of the Lord. And then he says, the spirit of the God has gathered them. His spirit has gathered them, and then the consequence of his hand. Look what it says. He has cast a lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line, and they will possess it forever. <clears throat> so I think at the end, 16 and 17, he's saying here's, he's laying out in this, in this poetic form of the prophecy, here's what the judgment of God looks like. Why do you want that? You ever have that discussion with your kids? I remember my kids were little, and I'd sit down with them, and I'd say, okay, guys, time to go to bed. I think Cosby used to make this part of his routine, right? It's like when you tell your kids time to go to bed, it's like saying, and now the beatings will commence. Because there's going to be screaming and gnashing of teeth. I got a you know, 22-year-old autistic kid does the exact same thing still every night. 22 years. Nothing ever changes. Joe, time to go to bed. Ah, I don't want to go to bed. Okay. Let the beatings commence. It's only kind of hard to beat a 22-year-old. So we, we have to find other ways. But the idea, right, God is saying, why would you want the discipline of God? Why do you want to find yourself under the place of the reckoning of God? To stand before God on your own with nothing to pay the debt. With nothing to pay what is owed. 
Why would you want to stand in that place? Rather, make your life a life that is seeking out the book of God. Understand that it's the mouth of God, what the mouth of God has commanded. The Spirit of God will gather. Doesn't the Bible teach us that the Spirit of God gathers us? Don't we see that the Bible describing that the work of the Spirit is to gather together the, the, the righteous from the wicked? And then finally, what's God say? His hand's going to accomplish it. So what he says he's going to do, if you decide to stand in the pile where he's going to be treading the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God, you have been duly warned. God said, this is what I'm going to do. Or you can stand with him. He's the king. He's a creator. He made me. It's so evident in creation, I don't even know I don't even know how anybody could possibly argue the concept. There he is. He's, his his uh, design we see everywhere. And as a creator of it all, who owns it? If you built your house, do I just come over and throw all your crap in the yard and say it's mine now? And if I did, what would you do? Yeah. So the same thing we're reading the God doing, we would do if somebody came and did that. Well, that's what we're doing when we deny Him. When we deny who He is. When we deny His position. And God is saying, that is what the day of reckoning looks like. So be reconciled to God while there is time. The Bible would say, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Because every soul can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Nobody has to face the day of reckoning. Nobody has to be food for the birds. Amen? Yay, cool. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, we thank you for this time. We come before you. We come uh, before you in regard to your word, Lord. We pray, God, that you would just help us be be able to reconcile the concept. that That we can see, that we can understand, God, that you're using our language. You're using the things we understand to describe a day of reckoning, the day of vengeance, the day of the Lord. And God, uh, you're, you're telling us, you know, before you get to that place, seek the book of the Lord. Understand what it is that God has commanded. Recognize that the Spirit of God will gather and then know through it all what God lays out, what He lines out, what He uses the plumb line for us. It's going to happen. If he says, I'll save, he'll save. He is able to save to the uttermost. So God, we look to you, God, and we pray, Lord, that you would just be with us. Help us comprehend and understand, hold fast to the truth of your word, God, and that you would be glorified. And then help us, Lord God, to understand then that we have a role. The reason you told us this, not to scare us into obedience, the reason you told us is this day is coming. You have been warned. And the call then is that the watchers on the wall would sound the trumpet. So God, help us be faithful watchers on the wall, sounding forth the trumpet. The judgment of God will come one day. Today's the day to be right with him. Now's the time to call upon his name. So Lord, we pray that you be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.
me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone and I'm no child of God, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. child 